PFC kids. Let's be prayerful for them and the volunteers as well. The rest of us staying up here, we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 6 as we continue our series through the book of Proverbs. So kind of right in the middle of your Bible, if you end up in the Psalms, you can go over to the right to the book of Proverbs, and we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 6, not the whole thing, 1 through 19 for today. Thinking about this particular passage this week, uh, I thought, you know, I think probably for a lot of us, this topic of loans uh, is on our mind with uh, uh, our president's uh, push uh, for uh, this loan forgiveness program. And I'm not going to uh, delineate point by point my thoughts on the topic except to say that it's not really loan forgiveness. Loan forgiveness would be the lender saying, don't worry about it. Uh, transfer of debt to other people is a different topic. And we can unpack that another time. But we're th- thinking afresh, aren't we, of the wisdom of loans? And when is it right to take a loan? And if you're under the obligation of a loan, what does it take to get out of it? And for some of us, that might be sort of a, I don't know, how you grew up or cultural or something like that. And it might be a surprise to hear strong, stern words from Scripture about that particular topic. And that's what we have right here at the top of Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to see three uh, episodes, three short paragraphs, three um, vignettes, maybe you can call it. And the first one goes right to this issue of... uh, being a slave to loans. And here's, here's the point, and then we'll see it bear out in Scripture. When you're bound by your word, you must do everything it takes to make it right. When you're, when you're bound by your word, you must do everything it takes to make it right. So let, let's see that play out in the first five verses. Of course, in the mode of the father speaking to the son, conveying this wisdom, here's Guidance for life, kid. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter like a bird from the hand of the fowler. So we'll pause there. There's the first episode, we could say, the first scene. And making it very clear that if you're in a situation where you have put up security for your neighbor, we don't quite put it that way, but it's speaking of uh, taking out a loan. You are taking money and promising to give that back, and the promise is embedded in that second line, right? You've given your pledge. Uh, The Hebrew behind that is you've clapped your hand or you've clasped your hand. And we might think of clapping your hand like an applause. No, clapping your hands like the sound that make if you gave a firm handshake. Okay, you're sealing the deal with some sign that says, yes, I will. I will pay this back. Okay, now that is something that has been vowed. It's, it's, uh, it is not a gift. It's, you're pledging to pay this back to that neighbor or to that stranger. 
And what I want you to see here is that the issue that Scripture is taking with loans is not the loan. It's not the money. It's the promise. That's why it starts out with putting up security for your neighbor. You know this is about money. And then, but you've given your pledge. That's what this is really about. Why? Verse 2, you're snared in the words of your mouth. You're caught in the words of your mouth. It's what you said you would do. This wasn't thrust upon you. This wasn't forced upon you. You said you would pay this. That's the point. That's the trap. So on one level, you can just say the trap is money. And whatever it takes to get out of this, I just need to get out of it. Maybe I can rob somebody else. Maybe I could do. But the the ethical thing here is not about just paying back the money. It's the integrity of living up to what you said you would pay back. You understand? That's the issue. So like we've mentioned earlier, Proverbs has these kind of two themes. Sometimes they end up on the same track. Sometimes they're a little bit separate track. And one theme is folly, what is foolish. And another track is what is clearly wicked. Sometimes they're the same thing. Is it foolish to do something wicked? Yes. Sometimes do you have an action that's foolish even though it's not wicked? Sure. And so these two tracks run. Sometimes they converge. Sometimes they pull apart a little bit. And it's sometimes difficult to see which is which. But I don't think what this passage is saying is loans are wicked. I think this passage is saying loans are foolish because if you can't pay it back, that's wicked. So sometimes we have in our minds, what am I allowed to do? Am I allowed to do that? Yes, technically you're allowed to do it. Can you prove to me, chapter and verse, that I'm not allowed to do it? No, I can't prove to you, chapter and verse, that you're not allowed to do it. Okay, well then I can do whatever I want then. Yeah, but that's dumb. You know what I'm saying? It's foolish to do that. Just like a parent, you see your, I don't know, teenager or somebody interested in somebody else. Am I not allowed to? You said when I turn this age, I'm allowed to date. Am I allowed to date? Yes, you're allowed to date. But dating that person is foolish. So everything isn't always in the category of straight wickedness. Some things are. But what this passage is saying is you're, you're getting really close to crossing that line into wickedness when you put yourself in the foolish situation. So is it wrong to go down by that lady adultery house that we saw and that you're going to see next week. We'll be revisiting that again. Thankfully, Ben's turn. (laughs) Is it wrong to walk by her house? Is it wrong to have that conversation? Is it wrong to go out to dinner? That's not adultery yet. Is it wrong to text a lot? Is it wrong to confide in each other? Is it wrong to have now a separate cell phone that your wife doesn't know about? See, Dumb, 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 you're going to be, end up in the wicked lane. What this is saying is not that loans are wicked. In fact, in the Old Testament, loans were allowed. Israelites weren't allowed to give out interest-bearing loans to other Israelites, but they were allowed to give interest-bearing loans to non-Israelites. But because it was allowed doesn't mean it's wise. And throughout Proverbs, actually, There's a very negative tone toward loans in general. Don't give them, don't take them. 
Now, some Christians take that to extreme, and I will not take out a mortgage. I will only save up to buy the car that I can afford. And God bless y'all, you know. I'm not going to argue with you, honestly. Others would say there are foolish loans, and there are loans that make sense. And as long as you have the wherewithal to make good on your word, that's that's what counts. I agree with that. Because the wickedness is not paying it back. That's the wickedness. The loan could be foolish, but the wickedness is not living up to the words of your mouth. Some of you remember when we walked through Leviticus, some of the hard, one of the hardest things I had to figure out, moving through Leviticus, things are making sense, things are making sense, okay, it wraps up, and then finally the last chapter, oh, vows. And I was like, what's the big deal with vows? It was like, if you take this kind of vow, make sure you do it. If you take that kind of vow, make sure you do it, because the Lord takes vows seriously, And he's personally offended when you don't come through on it. Now, that chapter isn't about loans, but it is about vows. And what is a vow? I promise I will do this. And then you don't do it. That's wicked. So if you've put yourself in a situation, you've put up security for your neighbor, you've given your pledge for a stranger, you're caught in the snare of the words of your mouth, you're caught in the words of your mouth, this is the predicament that he's laying out. This is the predicament before he tells you what you're supposed to do about it. And um, I do find it interesting that verse 1 says, uh, neighbor or stranger. Like, it doesn't matter if it's a Christian or not a Christian, someone who's in covenant, not Old Testament context, whether the person's an Israelite or a foreigner. It, it doesn't matter. You can't say, because this person is a foreigner, I could take advantage and uh, I don't want to go off the rails here, but sometimes I feel like Christians take advantage of Christians more, more than the world. We respect the world, but eh, Christian, eh, church. And we don't want to do that, right? You need to be a person of your word, whether or not this is for your secular business or eh, a brother in the growth group. He doesn't care. God is watching. God cares. Neighbor, stranger, the point is you said you would do it. Are you going to do it? So what do you do? You're in that predicament. You're getting squeezed. Really, the trap is you're caught between what you promised you would do and what you're actually able to do. That's the trap. That's the rock in the hard place. Then do this, verse 3. Do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go hasten and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. He's saying there's a sense in which the lender owns you now. The lender has a kind of power over you, even if they don't want to. Maybe the lender is like, hey, I understand, but you're still in a situation that you have to live up to the words of your own mouth, right? So it's not like, well, I could take a loan from a, a good guy as long as I don't take a loan from a bad guy. You're already thinking of taking advantage of the good guy, aren't you? You're trapped, and that person has something over you because you owe. And you don't want to be in that situation. It's a trap. It's not going to be good for you. It puts a squeeze on you. It's the rock in the hard place getting closer and closer, trapping you, choking you. And you need to get out of it. The first thing he suggests is go talk to your lender. I, I think it's to plead urgently for more time. You might say you can plead urgently to just forgive it, but I I don't think that's where this is going. I guess it's possible. I don't think this is where it's going because if the lender just forgives it, then I still didn't live up to my word. 
Maybe. But then look at the next line. Verse, end of verse 3, go hasten, go quickly, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep, your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself from the trap. So I think what he's saying is plead for more time, and if he gives you more time, get to work and get it done. If I plead urgently with the neighbor, and the neighbor just says, well, don't worry about it, I forgive the loan. What am I losing sleep for? Right? But if the neighbor says, I'll give you an extra 30 days, I'll give you an extra year, whatever it is. Okay, thank you. And then he's saying, don't go into sleep mode. Like, oh, okay, I can always just ask for more time again. Don't do that. Get it, get it done. What if he doesn't give you more time? Get it done. Save yourself by giving your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. That's why he now puts the next scene here. Very, very familiar to many of us. He's telling us to look at the ant. Look at the ant, thou sluggard. And what he's doing here is he's using a paragraph that could be its own sermon, Okay. It's not directly about taking out loans. It's about laziness versus diligence. But he's putting it here to make a point. The only way to get out of the trap of a loan is hard work. Laziness will kill you. And so he puts it here, not because this is about taking out loans. This is about laziness versus hard work. But he's using it to back up what he just said about getting out from under a loan. That makes sense? So let's take a look. Hard work is how you get out of it, not just hoping that it goes away. Go to the ant, O sluggard, slothful person, lazy person. Consider her ways and be wise. He's basically saying God has built some wisdom into just the creation order. Look how they work. Verse 7, without having any chief or officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. Some people might be like, I saw a Netflix documentary, and ants actually have an hierarchy, a hierarchy, and they do have someone in charge. Okay, like, I think this is just general observation. They come out, you don't hear particular orders, it's not an actual kingdom, but they're diligent. And they go out and they work, and some of them get stepped on, and some of them get snatched up by predators, and some of them can't find food, but they do it, and they work hard to do it. Without having an official chief or officer or ruler, they they get to work and they prepare and they gather. Verse 9, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Uh, I can just preach these verses for a while. Okay, uh, hard work is built into the Ten Commandments. That commandment about Sabbath rest is a double commandment, isn't it? It doesn't just say on the seventh day rest. It says six days work, six days shall you work, then on the seventh day rest. That doesn't mean you earn the rest necessarily, but it means that's the rhythm. Hard work, hard work, hard work, appropriate rest. Rest is good. Sleep is good. Sleep is beautiful. Some of us are the opposite, and we're such workaholics, we wish we could take a pill and we didn't need sleep. Oh my goodness, I could work two shifts. Why do I have to sleep all these hours? What a waste of time. It's not a waste of time. It's God building into your own natural rhythm, shutting down and trusting him. 
with the world. Some of us are on the other end where we need to listen to that work six. We have no problem listening to the rest part. And the reason why he puts this here is because when you say you're going to do something and you haven't done it, you don't have time to spare. Okay, I'll just take a little nap. And that little nap becomes more naps. Plus the sleep at night. Plus hitting snooze. Plus going to bed early. Plus binging on Netflix. You know what I mean? Like all the shutting off the mind builds up when you owe. Don't do that. Hey, if you didn't owe anybody, go ahead. You, you can have some extra rest. When you're under the weight of a loan, you can't afford rest because you've got to press to make sure you do what you said you would do. Now, some of you are like, oh, what am I supposed to do? You know, like, well, if you are working hard and you're on pace to pay back the loan that you said you would loan, I think you're, you're good. But if you see yourself falling behind, if you're not sure you're going to make a payment, then you need to double-think that vacation. You need to double-think eating out as often. I mean, there's a level, it's just common sense. It's just common sense. But sometimes we don't take it with the authority of Scripture and apply it into our lives. So we're in danger of not doing what we said we would do, verse 2. And the way to get at it is diligence, hard work, skipping some sleep if you need to. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. It'll take over your life. It'll end you. You'll have less if you don't have a good, strong work ethic. In this case, to get out from underneath the loan. And then this third paragraph can also stand by itself, and it, it gets pretty harsh. It's, it's about more than just this topic. It's broad. It's general. God hates wickedness. God hates wickedness. The reason why it's put here on the heels of the ant thing is because he's saying that if you don't live up to your word, that's wicked. Check it out, verse 12 and following. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will, break, he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers." You see here that it's sort of a mixed bag, shedding innocent blood. Oh, my goodness, I just didn't pay back the loan. I didn't kill people. But the point is, he's putting that in the same bucket. How disgusting of a person are you if you just walk around killing people? Oh, yeah, that's disgusting. That same bucket is the bucket with which God sees people who say one thing and do something else. There it is at the top. Who is a worthless person, a wicked person, Someone with crooked speech. Here's what I said, and oops, here's what I did. My speech is crooked because it doesn't line up with what I actually did. 
This is why we need scripture to shape us, because in our own minds, we have things that we think are wicked and things where we're like, eh, it's a big deal. Well, to God, it's a big deal. You would become a worthless person. You would show that you're, there's wickedness in you if you go about with crooked speech. Now, I don't know what's going on in verse 13. Winking the eyes, signaling the feet is actually uh, dragging the feet or scraping the feet, points with the finger. We have gestures now that wouldn't make sense to any other culture. If somebody was reading somebody's Instagram now, and this is already outdated, but like a dab, some of you are like, what's that? Exactly, exactly. What is that? I still don't know what it is. I still don't know what that is, but my kids did it for like four years straight. What does that mean? A winking tongue, a dragging foot, a pointing finger? I don't know what it means. But I do know that back then it meant, hey, let's make a deal. Let's enact this covenant. Let's make this pledge and, you know, I'll do it. Whatever the signal is, right? Okay, he made the pledge. He did the dab, the wink, the scrape, whatever. Sealed the deal. And then you don't do it. And then you don't do it. That person is a worthless person, a wicked person, a person with crooked speech because they give all the signals on the outside. See how it's external? Eyes, feet, fingers. But something else is going on inside. Verse 14, it's a perverted heart that is actually devising evil, continually sowing discord. I think you can think of a person who takes out a loan, borrows from somebody, really meant to give it back, but then just couldn't. And then this is saying this person is devising it ahead of time. I think it's put here because he's saying you might as well be that person. And in fact, if you keep doing that and trying to get away with it, you will become that person where you start realizing, huh, I can take out loans and I'm not going to get killed for it. I can kind of get away with it. Someone else will pay for it. I can get out of it. And now you start thinking loans aren't as serious as they actually are. And now you start devising more loans rather than going, thank God I got out of this. Let me not do that again. You start becoming the person little by little who does it on purpose. And the scripture is saying that's devising evil. It sows discord. 14, you think you're going to get along with the people that you didn't pay back? Other people start hearing about the fact that your wink doesn't mean anything, your scraping of the foot doesn't mean anything, your handshake doesn't mean anything. You're sowing discord with other people as opposed to trust. So it might get you out of a difficult situation in the moment, but you're killing your integrity, which will give you less situations in the end when it comes to people. Verse 15 Calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. You borrow and don't give back, that means you're taking. And takers lose, Scripture says. Well, some of the reason why we might think it's not this big of a deal, oh my goodness, I mean, yikes, should I go home and really rethink some of the things I'm doing with my money or whatever? Yeah, and the reason why is because of how God views it. The worthlessness and the wickedness of it is not just because other people are going to get ticked off. They will, but it's because it, it, it's an abomination to the Lord. Verse 16, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. When we read this with our modern eyes, we're like, is it six or seven? Which one is it? It's a, it's a rhetorical device to go, six? You know what? Never mind, seven. It's, a, it's ramping it up, ratcheting it up. Okay? 
These are the things that are an abomination to him. That doesn't mean it's an exhaustive list. Nothing else is an abomination to him. But it's, this, uh, it's poetry to capture the kinds of things that God hates. Haughty eyes, proud eyes, arrogance, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Again, this is a broad list. It's not saying everyone who takes out a loan is a murderer. But these are the kinds of things the Lord hates. Arrogance, lying, murder, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Now we can go, huh, shedding innocent blood, that's a bit of an exaggeration. It would take a lot to get to that point. But look at everything else. Haughty eyes, the arrogance to say, I'll pay that back, when you don't have the means to pay that back. Is that arrogance? Could be. A lying tongue. You know you can't pay that back. You're just, yeah, sign the dotted line. I'll pay extra fees later, blah, blah, blah. You know you can't pay that back. Is that lying? Then, devising a wicked plan. Do you know you probably don't have the means to pay that back, but you're going to do it anyway? Well, you're not devising a righteous plan. Make feet that make haste to run to evil. Could be that. Because how often do we take out foolish loans out of haste? I don't want to wait to save up for it. I'll just take out a loan. Yay. And then verse 19. What is somebody who says I will do it and then doesn't do it? A false witness who breathes out lies. And the result, as he already said, is one who sows discord among brothers. Discord among brothers. We need to make sure that we do what we say we will do, even if it's not money. It's like, I promise I'll cut your lawn. Okay, when are you going to come? Wednesday. Wednesday comes, I don't come. Hey, where were you? Never mind, I meant next Wednesday. No, you didn't. It could be anything. Not necessarily dealing with banks, right? But saying you'll do something and not doing it is a problem. That's a problem. And so when we look at this, we see that Scripture's making it really clear that it's not, the takeaway is not never take out a loan. The takeaway is loans can entrap you because of your word. Therefore, when you're bound by your word, you need to do whatever it takes to make it right. Skip sleep, hard work, diligent effort, do what it takes, go plead with your neighbor, ask for more time, ask for grace, ask for some wiggle room. Worst case, they don't give it to you, but at least you asked. Craft that email. Dress up and go make that visit. And get to work. Get to work to get out of it if you can. Let me give you just a couple of application points that I think are hopefully tethered to this passage and not just kind of my thoughts or ideas. I think sensible application out of what we're learning here. And the first one is to think twice before you take a loan. Think three times, four times. Get advice. Get, get some wise counsel around you rather than just uh, jumping into it. We don't want to make haste if it's going to end up being a situation that tempts us toward evil or puts us in a place where we are filled with crooked speech or seen that way or become that way. Well, think twice before you make a loan. Well, Scripture, 
thinking again back to that last chapter in Leviticus. There are no commands to make a vow. Some of you might remember that. It doesn't command that you make a vow. It says when you make a vow, make sure you do it. But nowhere does it say, hey, make a vow. Why? Because it's kind of dumb to make vows. Not all vows. Some vows are, are, I think, necessary because it's part of the covenant, like marriage vows. But this is talking about the extras. The ancient Israelites, as exhausted as we are with all the rules that they had to follow, they, they saw them as gaining value before the Lord, right? And so to one-up your neighbor and gain even more value in God's sight, I'm going to keep all these commandments, plus I'm going to vow this extra thing. And then at the end of Leviticus, got that whole book about laws and law-keeping. God is like, hey, listen, I'm not going to ban that. If you want to go the extra mile for me, great. If you want to honor me with something extra, awesome. But you better do it if you say you're going to do it. God is like, I don't care about the vow. I'm not asking you to make the vow. But if you make it, what I care about is keeping the word. Because the theme throughout all of Leviticus is you reflect me. And I'm a word-keeping God. So just like many of us learn as parents, it doesn't go well with us when we can't do what we say we're going to do. How oftentimes we're in the middle of traffic and we're like, if you do that again, I'm pulling over. Did you ever really pull over? Did you? You think that kid's going to stop? You're not going to pull over. This is what happens when we say something, but we don't really think out, can I do what I just said? Can I do it? And so we don't have to, if we don't have to take the loan, it's probably wisest to not take the loan and not be under that debt. Why have someone else be kind of over you in that way if it's not something that is necessary or reasonable or doable? The second application is to get to work. I, I honestly, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular here, Christian Fellowship Church, full of church full of hard workers, but maybe somebody needs to hear it. Uh, there are many ways in which we can not just skip work, but show up to work and just kind of dial it in. I, I think Christians should be the most diligent employees wherever we are. We should be running circles around people because we're not working for some human employer. We're working to not be an abomination before the Lord. We're working to be a good reflection of the Lord, right? And it's that kind of work ethic that helps you climb the ladder as you read through the Proverbs, obeying the Lord brings blessing, disobeying the Lord brings not blessing. That's not a prosperity gospel. That's just how life works. If you're a hard worker, that's going to be recognized. You're a lazy worker, nobody wants to hire you. You got to get to work. Some of us growing up, we're hearing our parents barking at us to do this, to do that. We're like, oh, can't wait till I move out. You move out, now you've got hundreds of people barking at you to turn in your homework, get to work on time. What we're trying to do with our kids is instill a principle of hard work, a work ethic, so that they can thrive out there in the world. And that is a spiritual thing. God created us that way and has created the world to be ordered that way. So that's why the, the prescription is... Get to work. Look at the ant. They're working. They're hustling. Get to work. Work hard. I think in keeping with that, number three, we'll just do two more. Number three is, is make a plan. Make a plan. Sit down, spreadsheet, 
pen, paper, whatever you need to do, consult with somebody and go, okay, here's my predicament. How do I get out of this? How can I make payments? Well, did you know you could do this? No, I didn't know that. Okay, get some help. And make a plan to attack that thing so that you don't feel like you're hard work, you're a hamster in a treadmill, but you see like, okay, I can, I can actually get out from under this. If I do this, this, and that, I can make it happen. This can happen. This can work. So listen, we're all about grace here, but God is also about responsibility. And even though we're about God's grace and mercy, we don't just ask that from our lenders and then fold our hands to go to sleep. God is like, you want help getting out? Get out and get to work. But that means make a plan. And then the number four, uh, which ties to the first one. I guess I already said it, but don't say it if you can't do it. Don't say it if you can't do it. Uh, Don't get into the deal if you don't have a more than reasonable way to meet what you said you will do. Uh, this is the advantage of moving through a book like the Proverbs because it gets so practical and it kind of just rolling out different ways. A father sitting down with a son, I want you to live out there in the world with wisdom. Let's talk about relationships. Now let's talk about money, right? And these are the ways in which we go out there and showcase that we are covenant people. We're changed. We're God's people. We live according to certain values And we need to think twice about putting ourselves in a situation where we're trapped. We're honest because we're people of our word. We're people of our word because God is someone of his word and he kept his word, right? To forgive us of all of our debts. Think about all the ways that scripture uses transactional, almost financial language to speak about our standing before him, that our debts have been canceled in Christ, and he keeps his word on that. So we're not going to be the guy that goes, thank you, king, for forgiving all that, and then choking the guy, (laughs) choking the guy next door who owes us a little bit of money, or being the person who lies to get away with, and then we're getting choked, right? We're the other person in that scenario because we're the one that owes. Misunderstanding and not reflecting the grace of God at the cross. That's why it's an abomination. It's not random. It's because God keeps his word. So we should keep our word. Let's pray. Fathers, we close in this song. Uh, We pray uh, for practical help and guidance, Lord, as we leave here. Many of us may be needing to sit down, make a plan, adjust our plan uh, to handle some things that we said we were going to handle, pay back some debts that we said we were going to pay back. Uh, We pray for wisdom. And we pray for expediency. We pray for diligence and, and the effort we need to, to, for hard work. Uh, Father, some of us might feel like we're in a bind, and no matter how hard we work, we're not getting out of it. We pray for an opening. We pray for an opportunity. And we pray that we'd be able to help each other here uh, live into the wisdom of this passage. As we close in the song, Lord, um, dispense your grace to us, Father. We need to live by your grace left to our own devices, um, we will fail. So we need you, Father, and uh, we sing this song uh, mindful. Uh, we are dependent completely upon you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand up?